Hello and welcome to Extra Time, where we bring you all the sports stories from the Thames Valley and beyond. I'm Will Taylor and over the next hour I'll be talking you through debate and discussion with co-host Ed Tolton and Ben Green. So come and join us as we get stuck into another episode of Extra Time. This week we talk through all the local football as we chat about the end of the road for Wickham in the FA Cup, another poor result for Maidenhead and we look ahead to Reading returning back from the international break. We also delve into our hot topic section where we chat all the biggest sports stories beyond the Thames Valley. Stay tuned for all that and much, much more on this week's Extra Time. Good evening, good evening, good evening. That's right, it's seven o'clock on a Wednesday evening. There truly is only one thing that could possibly mean, to the extent that I actually pressed the wrong button earlier and it gave us a round of applause for coming on at seven o'clock, which is, which is uh, just as good, if not better. I'm, of course, joined by the wonderful Ed Tolton and Ben Green. Ben, it's been a while, mate, hasn't it? Yeah, I was thinking this, guys. It must be at least a month since I've last been on the show, but... I'd like to think of us three as like the, the Salah, Mane and Firmino of, of River Radio. <laughs> wow. wow. You said it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> can we quickly go, f- can we quickly distribute those roles between the three of us? Have we got time to do that? Uh, Ed's Firmino. Yeah, I completely add that. Uh, it's the shot, teeth, so. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, the well, fresh, and the fresh lid. Yeah, the tan doesn't have five wrenches, mate, in fairness. Um, I, said, no, I think you, you're, you strike me as a bit of a, of a Salah, I think. Salah, so, yeah, yeah. natural talent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what you're a mane. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I will. That's sort of by default. I'll admit that the similarities aren't. aren't you know, that. obviously, it's a pity that radio is not a visual medium. <laughs> I have to say, the way in which you you've just been like, yeah, no hint of irony on your face or anything. You were like, yeah, I'll take that all no, day long. Well, I think I'll, that's about right. I thought I'd get Firmino. So. If anything, he looks, he looks a little bit annoyed yeah. that it's taken this long for that to be pointed well, out. I wanted someone to come on straight away and say, you are Mane. That's what I was hoping for. But And it has actually happened. It has. Yeah, 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 anyway, has yeah. <laughs> anyway, over the show. Um, of course, as I mentioned, joined by Ben and Ed. Ed, you were back at Wembley last week, obviously doing your duties for England um, and Wembley and all that sort of stuff. 5-0 against Albania, the game you were there for. I mean, that was I, I thought that would be a lot tighter than it was. I don't know about you. I think, yeah, I think everybody kind of did because that is the way that England games have gone historically. It's that we, we play often opposition that on paper you would look at and say they are tremendously inferior. But on the grass, for some reason, it, it doesn't seem to work like that. And I think the 5-0 was very much a statement of intent after the disappointing draw at home to, to Hungary. I think a lot of people were were really taken aback by that. Gareth Southgate himself said the performance wasn't good enough. But then 10-0 against San Marino. Again, San Marino is one of those teams you look at and think, well, yeah, we, we should be 
winning that game 10-0 but we don't and and mm. a lot of teams don't that just doesn't seem to be the way international football works but two massive statements of intent really emphatic at Wembley 5-0 in the first half obviously disappointing not to extend that lead after the break but you've only got to look at any other football match really where that sort of thing happens yeah. and, and often the second half is a, a little bit tame in comparison but yeah through to the uh, to the World Cup finals next year and you know obviously looking forward recaptured the form for Harry Kane and yeah it was a, it was a great evening yeah, you silenced a few critics as well as Harry Maguire putting his fingers in his ears despite scoring against Albania. So fair play to him. Uh, ben, obviously, um, we're, we're going to get into Wickham in a little bit, so I don't want to touch on that just yet. Obviously, you're a man who knows your cricket. Disappointing to not see England in the T20 final, but a, a hell of a performance for, by Australia. Yeah, it, when, I, when I watched that final, all I could think about was the fact that England battered Australia <laughs> in the group. I think, how the hell are they going to come away winning this tournament and England aren't? But look, that's, that's cricket. New Zealand, we've had some great battles with them over the last couple of years. We seem to have got the rub of the green every time. It's not going to happen every time. So that they were brilliant in that semi-final. They weren't quite as good in the final. I thought the target they set wasn't high enough. And ultimately, you saw that Australia knock that off pretty easily. It was, it was quite a disappointing final. Did I... Pretty soon you said you watched it. Yes, Will. I did. Yeah, it's quite quite a disappointing final. There wasn't really a lot of drama yeah, to it, was it? The, the thing is that, that New Zealand never set a total that was ever impossible to get or really low. That meant it, yeah. it was just a bit of a. There, there wasn't anything particularly special about it. There was it, the batting performance was fantastic. I thought when Finch got out, I thought that was it for Australia. I thought that'd mm. be curtains, but it's just not how it played out. And and they they certainly looked, looked the um they, they looked the part and they didn't in the the group, the group game in fairness. But it happens in in every sport. I think teams quite often grow into tournaments. Well, don't that's they? what they did, didn't and they, they did. Yeah. yeah. They did completely, but um, an interesting one anyway. We are going to turn our attention back to the football and we're going to turn our attention to the select car leasing stadium where there's been some breaking news over the last couple of hours. Uh, that is that Reading have been deducted six points by the English Football League for breaching financial rules. Uh, the EFL determined that the Royals lost £57.8 million between 2017 and 2021. The EFL's limit for that period is £39 million, which seems a bit odd that you can lose 39 But anyway, um, a further six-point deduction is suspended until the end of the season and that's provided they can with a business plan which includes player spending naturally there's only one man who can really give us all the facts for that that's of course our Royals correspondent Jacob Hawley Jacob first and foremost mate just get your reaction to that please yeah I mean I think we all saw it come in didn't we um, there's been talk of it over the course of the season there's been discussions of between 6 to 12 points uh, most recently it was suggested it might be 9 points but we'll take 6 we'll certainly take 6 having seen those suggestions of higher um you know, it's not an ideal situation. Everyone knows that. But we look at Derby, um, who I'm, I know you're getting onto later, have, have suffered a, a really heavy point deduction, 21 points uh, as of yesterday. So so six points in the grand scheme of things, it, it's hard. Yeah, it's not ideal. It, it scuppers our chances of perhaps maybe breaking into those playoffs and, and sets us a little bit further down the table. But at the moment, uh, even with that deduction, we are, we're above the relegations at the moment, four points clear. Uh, and we'll hope to keep it that way. You obviously went on that run, didn't you, that, that made it look like a playoff charge could be possible, and that's when this deduction started initially looming over you a little bit. A, ba- a bit of a patchy run of results, and obviously a, a great win last week, um, last weekend, the weekend before, sort of made you think the playoffs were in touch. Now, do you think that's just completely out of the question now? Do you think it's just all about staying in the league, especially with the with it sort of, like you said, the, the suspension hanging over you as well? Well, it's the championship, so you never know, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Um, we've seen all sorts of things. You saw Barnsley last season. But yeah, I mean, a point deduction makes it a whole lot more difficult. Uh, Reading fans, we, we, tend to, we tend to think we're going to get relegated after five losses and then we, we get five wins and we think we're going to get promoted. I think a lot of fans do that. Um, 
realistically speaking, our chances of getting the playoffs this season weren't that high. That was never really. Uh, we we finished seventh last season, obviously, and I think given given the summer that we had and and the difficulties with spending, I think people kind of assumed that we wouldn't be going forward, but rather backwards. And, and Panovic's job would be to to build and use what he's got rather than to push on from last season. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not it's not easy, it's not ideal, but it, it's um, we'll certainly we'll certainly push for the playoffs. But you know, minus six points and makes it a difficult a difficult thing to do. And and even now, people will be talking of us down there in a relegation battle, perhaps. Jacob, it's it's Ed here. Good to hear from you. Obviously, with big breaking news like this, this has been going on for some time. Reading have been back and forth with the EFL. And in some quarters, it's been suggested that uh, only a six-point deduction is is a bit of a result, actually, for the Royals in the circumstances. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, weirdly, that's almost the feeling at the moment. Um, we've, Like I said, we've heard lots of talk of this nine points, maybe 12 points, so when the news broke that it would only be six, um, it, it's almost sort of a, a pleasant surprise in a way. We knew it was coming. We knew it was inevitable we were going to get the point deduction. So for it to only be six uh, is great. Obviously, we're aware that there's there's a clause in this deal. We, we've signed up to a, a sustainable business plan that we have to stick to um, uh, into the 2022-23 season. Uh, otherwise, of course, we'll face another six-point deduction next season. Hi Jacob, uh, Ben here. I was just, I was just wondering on the playing side. Do you think this is going to have a big effect on the players? Obviously, this is very much like now going to be a relegation battle. Um, obviously, despite Derby having the twenty points, there is still two places up for grabs of relegation spots. Hi Ben. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely it changes things. Um, there'll be players like John Swift who, at the start of the season, given their form, would have been hoping to be making that push for the playoffs again. Uh, and obviously he's not got so long left on his contract. You have to think it's not that tempting. It's not really something that's going to tempt him to stay uh, into next season. If, we, if we're down there looming around at the bottom with a, with a point deduction and a, a possible point deduction next season, it's not really that appealing for the players. Um, obviously, they've definitely got less to play for now. You can't argue that. Um, it's, it's going to be a hell of a push if they did want to make the playoffs. Um yeah, I mean, there's no knowing what's going on inside that dressing room. But with the number of players, uh, obviously, with their contracts up at the end of the season, they may feel already that they don't have an awful lot to play for. Um, and now even less, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting, wasn't it? Especially in, in that sort of playing sense. I mean, like I mentioned in the introduction, it's that there's um, this business plan that they need to comply with that includes player spending. Do you think that could have an adverse effect going forward as well then? That there's now more... Re- I know there were restrictions anyway with the embargo, but it's not like that was just that window where was the embargo. You've now got to stick to... Obviously, we don't know the details of that spending plan just yet, but that going forward, there are going to be restrictions on the players that you can get in due to that sort of cap with, that you, you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, like you say, we don't know exactly what that means yet. Um, but of course, it makes it difficult. I mean, you know, in, I've seen people joke that on Twitter, we, we might go and, you know, we've got this business plan in place. But what if we were to break it? What if we were to, to spend millions and, and gamble? And then we did get promoted with the minus six points. Obviously, you know, it's unrealistic. It's not likely. But how, how strict is that? And, and can you play with it? We, we, would you want to risk it? Are we are we set back for two seasons? There's a lot of questions surrounding the club at the moment um, about where we stand and what we're going to be able to do, not just this season, but yes, like you say, next season, um, how limited we'll be, whether we'll be limited to the point where even without a six-point deduction, the, the, you know, the restrictions put us into a place where we're down in the relegation zone anyway. Um, 
So it's kind of a lose-lose in many ways. It's like don't spend um, and and go down with all those contracts expiring or, or spend and take the six-point deduction. So it's not ideal for Reading. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a long way to go, maybe not just this season, but next season too. Jacob, moving on to other matters, because hopefully the picture will become clearer with regards to the points deduction and everything it brings with it in due course. There has been a new face brought in in the form of Andy Carroll, someone we're all very familiar with from his exploits in the Premier League. How pleased are you about that? It's only a short term deal, isn't it? He's only he's only on contract for a couple of months. Do you think that is a bit of a boost for for fans and, and the dressing room alike? I think it's certainly a bonus. Uh, Andy Carroll's a very experienced player. Like you say, we all know him. Uh, he's played for England, played for Liverpool, Newcastle. You know, he's a, he's a top top player, top striker on his day. Um, and yeah, he signed for two months. Uh, like Jamari Clark just picked up an injury for the 23s. Uh, Zhao obviously sit out. So we needed a striker. There's no doubt about that. And Andy Carroll, someone that we looked at over the summer, we held discussions with him and ultimately nothing materialised. But obviously, with, with the with the situation with the injuries, the club have reached back out to him and said, "Look, would you like to come play for us for a couple of months? We can help you. You can help us." And um, and they've come to an agreement, and hopefully, it'll go down in history as as one of those classic Reading signings, Yakubu style where Andy Carroll comes into the championship and, and sets the league alight. It's, it's honestly the first time I've heard anyone say Yakubu style in, in many, many years, Jacob, in fairness. Um, <laughs> no, no, but it's interesting. Looking forward then, obviously, you know, back back in action this weekend against Nottingham Forest. How do you sort of see that one going? Um, yeah, I mean, Nottingham Forest have enjoyed a, a nice upturn in form since Steve Cooper's arrival. Uh, it won't be an easy game, that's for sure. Black, back at the select car leasing certainly turns things in Reading's favour. But, I mean, um, yeah, Forrest, they've been inconsistent since Steve Cooper's arrived. They've shown glimpses of quality, far more so than they did under Chris Hewton. Um, but they still haven't managed to grasp that consistency and that playoff form yet. Um, and we're level on points with them. So, you know, we'll be hoping that, you know, a point uh, or, or three points, even better, uh, to take away from this game and, and leapfrog ourselves up the table. Um, particularly following that six-point deduction. Definitely. Um, and of course, Reading women, another good result for them. They, they seem to be doing okay, don't they? Yeah, I picked up a bit of form recently. Obviously, a tricky start to the season. Um, but yeah, the game against West Ham was a good one, actually, because, you know, obviously those the, the win against Villa, the win against Birmingham, both brilliant. Um, but going away to West Ham, a little trickier, perhaps, above us in the table. Um, and and they, they went in 2-0 up at half-time. They, they started really well, West Ham, Um and they gave us they gave us a really tricky position to come back from. But but Kelly Chambers took took them in at half time and said, Look, we've seen what you are capable of, we've seen what you did in the second half last time out um, against Birmingham. You know, go and do the same thing, believe in yourself. And that belief is starting to creep in for the Reading Women now and that comeback to two all against West Ham will certainly help build momentum and hopefully something to take into the Palace game tonight. I certainly hope so, Jacob. I, hope, I definitely hope you're right. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. And thank you for blessing us with your wisdom once again. We'll, uh, we'll talk uh, to you next you very week, much, mate. Will. All right. Cheers. That's uh, Jacob Hawley there, the Royals correspondent here um, at Extra Time for River Radio. Uh, well, we're going to turn our attention now away from Reading and have a little bit of a chat about Maidenhead. Music. Was my first love. Music. Across the Thames Valley. This 
is River Radio. Very interesting choice of sweeper there, and if you don't actually play music here on River Radio, there's something going on with these buttons there. It's not my fault, that's all I will say. Oh yeah, of course. Anyway, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> it's excuse after excuse, isn't it? That's what it feels like. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, we are going to turn our attention um, to all things Maidenhead now after having a little bit of a chat about Reading. Um, you know, it's, it's been a sort of patchy form. As I mentioned, I was obviously there at the Wrexham game a few weeks ago that, that was a cracking result and, and unfortunate to go out the FA Cup in what was an incredible game against Halifax in, 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 on a couple of weeks ago. Dagenham and Redbridge away on Saturday. A bit of a disappointing loss. We are joined on the line now by assistant manager Ryan Peters as well. Ryan, first and foremost, how are you? You all right? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad at all, thank you, mate. Not too bad at all. Getting stuck into it then, as I mentioned, it's been a bit of a difficult sort of sort of run for you guys. What, what's, what, I mean, if, if, is there anything you can sort of pinpoint that, that you sort of feel like the issue might be? Uh, no, no. Um, listen, the, the league gets tough and tough every, every year and not to make any excuses, but we are part-time. Uh, we punch way above our weight in this league, so there are going to be spells of indifference and we're just going through one of those spells at the moment yeah obviously and it's, it's, it's obviously worth taking into account that Dagenham certainly have done very well in the league and everything this year going forward then obviously you know it, it was it was a disappointing result and and I suppose one, one of the things you'll be looking to address is sort of um, it, the, the defence it, it doesn't seem to be as solid at the back as sort of previous seasons yeah I wouldn't necessarily say it's just the, the, the back it's um, I mean essentially you, uh, you defend from the front and we're not quite doing it as a team at the moment. Um, we're conceding far more goals than we would uh, anticipate or want to. So, of course, that has been our remit in train over the last few days uh, or weeks, in fact, just to try and get that right. Because um, as we've seen uh, throughout the games, we will score goals. So if we can stop letting in as many, it means we don't have to score as many to win a game. Ryan, it's, it's Ed here. Great to have you on the show. The last couple of games, as you say, have seen you concede quite a lot of goals. Now, obviously, the Halifax Town result was cut football. That's slightly different. To what extent when you know a result like 7-4 has happened, which in some respects obviously brought the club um, a little bit of publicity because it was such a phenomenal fixture and obviously one that unfortunately you were on the wrong end of. When a game like that has happened, to what extent are you analysing it, looking at the goals that have happened versus maybe drawing a line under it and saying, right, okay just a couple of little tweaks rather than inundate you with lots of negative information how do you how do you manage the players because things like confidence must be an issue when you've been on a bit of a bad run yeah sure um, it's not necessarily the publicity we want um, but essentially when you're letting seven goals that's, that's going to happen um, we had a brief discussion about the, the FA Cup game and then we put it to one side because as far as we're concerned that was a uh, a one-off seven goals going in on that is absolutely not an Adam Devonshire side and we have done all we can to try and stop goals from going in. Of course, we then let in uh, four the next week against two good sides in fairness. Um, but from our side of things, it's just uncharacteristic mistakes at the moment that are leading to, uh, to goals going in. Uh, we're working on being as tight as possible. Yes, of course, confidence feeds into it. And when that happens, you're looking for our, our personalities within the group to step up and really try and uh, come to the fore, which they are doing in fairness. Um, training has been bubbly. We've worked them as hard as we can do. Um, and we're raring to go this Saturday to try and get back to uh, clean sheets and winning games. Hi Ryan, uh, Ben here. I was just, I was just wondering. Obviously, the season's almost halfway through now. How would you not only assess the you know Maidenhead's performance up to this point, and maybe what are the targets for the rest of the season? Um, not great. If you see the amount of points we've picked up in this in this period and where we sit at the moment in time, 
It's not necessarily what we wanted at the start of the season. Based off of last season, we wanted to uh, try and get into the top half of the, uh, the table, which isn't beyond us. Um, but we do need to try and uh, turn some of these results around um, and try and get a few more wins. But we're not we're not in doom and gloom as far as we're concerned. Um, uh, our performances up until last week were good. Uh, we just weren't quite not getting the, the rubber the green. Um, and actually, barring us for the four goals that went on on Saturday and you take out the FA Cup game, we've always been in every game up until this period. So if we can get back to competing, um, setting up and trying to be hard and resolute, we will then try and score. Um, we will then start winning more games than we lose. At the moment, it's, uh, it's a bit of a transition. We, uh, we go out when and, and we score. And before we even get back into a stable position, they could be conceded again. So it's just being as solid as we can, um, finding that breakthrough and making sure we don't concede. And it will come back. Uh, the gaffer is, is renowned for trying to get these things back to where they should be. We're in a state of indifference and it will change. Absolutely right. I'm, I'm, I don't doubt that. So obviously we've we've seen some good good spots from uh, from players as well. Josh Kelly five and five, including the uh, the result at Halifax. How important has he been, and how key is he going to be to sort of turning this around? Yeah, key. A number of uh, some other some players that are scoring goals. We know Josh will always score goals. Um, if you have a look at some of the assists that have come his way, we are putting the ball where they need to be. And as long as you've got Josh Kelly in the box, he will jump on the end of those and score some goals, which is essentially what he's in the team to do. Um, we've got some goal scorers. We've got a number of goal scorers in our team. We will score goals. We know that. It's just making sure we get the balance of having the right amount of offensive people on the pitch um, as well as defensive to make sure that one, we score enough goals, but two, um, we stop that leak. So we're still trying to find a balance. We're still trying to be as hard, resolute as we can. But essentially, we want people like Josh Kelly on the pitch to score as many goals as he can. As I mentioned earlier as well, I was at that game against Wrexham as well, which was just an incredible atmosphere. It was just almost like, a, especially with, with obviously Ryan Reynolds and everyone being there, and it was a little bit like bursting the Hollywood bubble, which which must have just been incredible for you guys. Certainly being there, it, it that didn't look like a, a team that that um, sort of warrants the position you're in, especially. I thought that was, that was a really strong performance. There were some really bright spots. And I think to come back from, from them making it to all and go on and win the game showed great character. Is that sort of what you're looking to encapsulate and kick on with for the rest of the season? Sure, and I think you've said it there, it's character. Um, again, results haven't gone the way they should do, so we're looking for the bubbly characters, those big characters, step up and um, grab the game by the scruff of the neck and try and pull us through. Uh, people like Josh Kelly, like your Sammy Barrett's, the ones that are going to give us that um, impetus in front of goal. And of course, you're looking for our leaders like Alan Massey, just to lead us to try and go over the line with a win. And Ryan, just finally, Boreham Wood coming up at the weekend that you're going to. Obviously, they've had a really, really strong start to this campaign in the National League. What do you know about them? What are their threats? And, and how can you look to counteract them to get something out of that game? Really, really strong side. We've played them a number of times now. We know just how good they are. And more often than not, they're in the... Uh, they're fighting for a playoff position almost every season. So we know just how strong they are. Their front line is very, very good. They've just signed Denon Lewis as well. So they've got a bundle of, of talent going forward. Um, but probably is now the right time to play a team that is, in, that is high up there and in good spirits because it means that we've got to come to the fore and really be as, as tough as we can be. Um, there isn't any easy games in this league and it comes thick and fast. It's not like we have a international window where we can take two weeks out and try and prep again. So... Um, one game's gone, we're on to this next game and we'll have training again tomorrow and then we'll get ready for this Saturday. Absolutely right. Well, we certainly wish you, wish you best of luck against Boreham Wood on Saturday and for the rest of the season and we'll look forward to catching up soon.
Thank you, guys. Take care. Thank you very much. That's Ryan Peters, their Maidenhead United assistant manager. Really interesting there. A lot, a lot of uh, really interesting things that to say, of course. We are going to be moving on now, though, and we're going to have a little bit of a chat about Wickham. So a disappointing couple of results for Wickham over the last few days then. A 1-0 loss, loss, I should say, to Hartlepool last night, of course, knocking them out of the FA Cup. And uh, some patchy league form as well, losing to Portsmouth on um, just before that. Ben, obviously, you're a Wickham correspondent as well as being a Wickham fan. Let's just, I mean, getting straight into that, how, how disappointed are you? It's, it's been a really tough time. Uh, I think it's one win in seven, two wins in nine. Um it's hard to pinpoint what's been going wrong recently. I wouldn't say, actually, that Wickham have played particularly well all season. It was just Wickham were finding a way to win, looking a slight level above without getting out of second and third gear. Um, and obviously, Ed, I know you've seen the games at home as well, so you can probably vouch for that. But the last few games have just been... It looks like teams are starting to figure us out. We have, we've played the same system all season with the um, three at the back and the two out wide. The two guys up front aren't getting the service. Sam Vokes has had very little to feed off in terms of quality out wide. Um, the amount of crosses that come in and they just you know, they, they go out for a goal kick, they go out for a throw. If you can just get it on Sam Vokes' head, we might have a chance of scoring some goals. <laughs> but um, he's feeding off scraps at the moment. I think another issue has been Gareth McCleary has been injured. He's been pretty exposing actually how much we rely on him. His technical ability, his maturity, his experience. We look without him a bit lost, a bit one-dimensional. Now, I would say that on the caveat to that, Anders Mometi's come back into the team recently, but he doesn't seem to be getting a lot of minutes. He'll be getting 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Um, and without Gareth McCleary, there's not a lot of creativity in the team, which, is, which has been badly exposed in recent weeks. To what extent would you say that some of these poor results, though, have been maybe blown out of slight proportion? So a statistic you mentioned to me before we got on air was that Wickham have hit the post something like six times in the past two games. Now, those are two games in which Wickham have not scored, but have been very, very close. I mean, we're talking to posts with from getting a goal. And that happened at Portsmouth, or rather against Portsmouth, at Adams Park on Saturday, both before they went 1-0 down and after as well. You know, the... The professional game is really all down to fine margins, isn't it? We come our fourth in the league. To what extent is this poor run perhaps being blown out of proportion versus it being genuinely concerning to you as a fan? Yeah, exactly. Wickham are still fourth in the league. And, and if and if we had won a few of these games, what would we be talking about? Wickham might be second and we might still win the FA Cups. There's not a lot has changed. But what I would say is, like you said, Ed, and I know we discussed it after the game, was, was Wickham just aren't taking their chances. If they'd taken their chances against Portsmouth, it would have been 3 or 4-1. Portsmouth had one chance on the counter-attack and that was it. And I think at the moment, I think last night was the same. From what I've heard, we, we hit the post twice. Um, some good chances gone and, and overall in the game, Hartlepool didn't really have much of a threat. But at the end of the day, we can sit here and say, oh, Wickham had all these chances. At some stage, you've got to start taking the chances. And, and if we don't, then clearly we're not going to be good enough to challenge those top seven, eight places. No, no, I think I think that's certainly it. And it's interesting, isn't it, to see how it goes? Because we spoke about it briefly on the show last week when we, we touched on it, that you were getting all these last-minute goals. And that's all well and good. That's brilliant. But... We even said at the time, it's uh, and although you probably were valued for winning those, ha- those having to come in the 97th, 98th minute as they did. Can't go with them every time. No, of course you can't. Exactly, exactly that. But um, as a result of, of this bad form, obviously, quite a lot of criticism is being, is being levelled at the players. Is that perhaps slightly unfair? Is it almost worth remembering just what this group's done? Yeah, I mean, look, people are going to overreact. I'm not really too... I'm, I'm always in the middle as a Wickham fan. I'm never too high, never too low. 
I don't think there's been particularly any one player that's been playing badly. I think it's the team as a whole. They just haven't looked quite up to it, maybe 70%. It's almost been the fight, which has been disappointing to see, because that's one thing you'd always say with Wickham is, right, well, at least they're not going to get out of fort today. You know, the other team are going to have to work for a victory. Especially with Gareth Ainsworth. Exactly, side, yeah. Maybe that's a sign that, that we have been a championship team. And when you do come down a division, it can be hard, you know, playing against teams that are rising to your level, which is something we haven't had to do a lot in the past at League One. We've been the one rising to the other team's level. So, yes, yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put blame on the players at the moment. One criticism that I have seen trending for, for quite some time, actually, is the accusation that substitutions are maybe coming a little bit too late in the game to really affect and, and change things. Is that something, perhaps, that you'd agree with? Because you did say that we played the same system all year and, and if you are waiting until quite late to maybe bring someone on to, to change that fortune, then you're not giving them a lot of time, like you say, with someone like Anis Mimetti to, to particularly shine. Anis Mimetti, that said, did start against Portsmouth. Um, and for me, to some extent in that game maybe showcased why he's not been playing as much as he might have done because whilst he's clearly a very talented player he seems to want to take a, a great deal of touches before perhaps trying to get a shot away or deliver something yeah I mean just to answer your, the first question it, that's something that's always been labelled at Ainsworth is the substitutions it's something that I've and I've been guilty of shouting on the sidelines you know five minutes ago we still haven't made us up but at the same time his consistency with his squad has almost been one of his stronger points. So it's hard to kind of, it kind of balances it out with, with Anis. I think last year he proved himself to be a very talented player. He was 19 playing in, in the championship. Um, what I think the problem has been this year is he just hasn't really played. And I think you need with, with someone like him, he needs a run of games in the team, maybe six, seven games. And then you'll see, I know what you mean on the weekend, there was too many touches, but in, three, four games time, he might be that little bit quicker, maybe two, three touches less where he finds the pass. So I know there was a couple of situations on the weekend where he probably should have played out wide. Now, at the same time, he's the only player we seem to have in the team that wants to run with the ball, wants to do something. So I think he's a case of trying to control the talent he has and benefit the team. Because ultimately at the moment, without him and McCleary, I don't see anyone else in the, cl- in the squad that has the technical ability at all. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you would think that when Gareth McCleary got injured, he would have been an obvious person because he does seem to have that little bit of stardust. And the way that Wickham do play, which does seem to be gambling off the knockdowns that Sam Vokes is able to win so, so consistently, which is very impressive, he would perhaps be somebody that you would want to get into the team in the absence of someone like Gareth McCleary. I've got to ask the question now because the form is in a situation where this becomes a relevant question. Do you think Gareth Ainsworth is under any pressure? Because obviously he's been quite vocal about about saying that this is a the, the best squad that he has had at his disposal and being quite open about the idea that promotion and being in that promotion mix is, is the aim. It's a justifiable question. I think I probably know the answer, but nonetheless, <laughs> I'm going to ask. Yeah, I mean, when, when we say pressure, I mean, with, with, if we're talking about Gareth Ainsworth's job, I don't think we're even anywhere near close to that. Uh, I think for him to even be under remote pressure from the board would have, we'd have to fall into the relegation zone or, or, or you know really peter off for the rest of the season I don't I don't think us having three four five bad games in a row justifies people slating him or saying oh Ainsworth out I don't agree with that at all I think he's got a proven track record he's got two promotions with us everything he's done for the club let's allow him a, a period of we and at the end of the day also Wickham all, always have a mid-season slump under Ainsworth Every single season we struggle. Now, this year it's come a little bit earlier. So hopefully, what I'm hoping is come December and January, we're past it 
and we're flying again. So, you know, we'll see what happens in December. Might be no points per game to save you this time, mate. That's very nah, You would have loved it, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, no, but no, what, all I would say on it, just just sort of looking at the other side of things, and I, I, I'm in complete agreement. I don't think after the job he's done there, you can ever really question him. But do you not think if it was another manager who'd come down and made the signings that he has and made the, 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 the statement of intent that he has, certainly in the, the early results and the way he's played, that there might be more questions asked and Gareth Ainsworth is maybe going to get a free hit at what is a pre- Pretty torrid patch of patch of form. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, of course there would be. At the same time, Wickham are still fourth. Let's, let's not yeah. forget Wickham yeah. are still fourth. And what's the remit at the start of the season to get promoted? And at the moment, they're in with a chance to get promoted. I think if if another manager was in at the moment, there might be some tough questions being asked. But at the end of the day, Wickham are still in those playoff places. So until they fall drastically down the table to tenth, twelfth, fourteenth, and even then, if we did, I, I think questions would be asked of Ainsworth, let alone another manager I just think people have to remember that this squad largely is still a league one squad it went up to the championship yes but it did come back down so clearly it wasn't quite good enough for the level but it's at a level now where it should be competing week in week out doesn't necessarily mean it's good enough to get promoted again which is what I said at the start of the season I did say that for Wickham to get the top two would be an immense achievement even with the squad now that that sort of late charge for for safety has probably ended up coming against Gareth Ainsworth at this stage, doesn't it? Because if you'd gone down by 10 points, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation about him being under pressure. But because it was so close that you nearly stayed up, do you think that then factors in to making it seem worse than it is now? Yeah, and I think ultimately we there was three players that we lost in the summer that was a massive blow. Josh Knight was always 50-50 whether we were going to get him back. We didn't. He's a guy that can play centre-half and midfield and we're we're really lacking in in the, in the... the defensive positions. If Tafazoli or Stewart's injured, I don't know who comes in. Um, losing Nick Piazu was a massive blow. I know he's slightly different to Vokes and, and Akin Fenwa. And also losing on Yadimma. You know, I know McCleary's been brilliant this year. But if Gareth McCleary got injured, we could have had Fred on Yadimma to come back in at the moment. There's no one of the same quality. And, and on Yadimma's proven himself at Luton to be a really good player. So I can't begrudge him for going. But I think those three players going has had actually a, a bigger impact on the team than maybe some of us thought at the start of the season. I think also the one thing you have to remember about Gareth Ainsworth is that he has pieced this squad together very much in his own image. And and one of his great strengths appears to be how well he manages the group as, as personalities, individuals. His man management is, is really rated as being first class. I've heard so many of those players say that it is the best dressing room they've ever been in. If you take Gareth Ainsworth out of that system... Well, who do you replace him with or what do you replace him with? Now, football management is one of those scenarios whereby very quickly the question starts being asked, well, what have you done for me lately? And I've said that before. And for me, the the biggest indicator of that was when Claudio Ranieri went from, from Leicester, having won the Premier League not not even 12 months beforehand. And all of a sudden it appeared the Leicester players kind of weren't, weren't having him anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, you, well, you were having him when you won the Premier League. What's the, <laughs> what's the problem? Why, why is there a, an issue now? It's all very, very peculiar. But in that case, Wickham are so synonymous with Gareth Ainsworth and vice versa that it does seem that you could almost... There, there isn't like another name that you simply go, oh, we'll bring in this person and to change this. You know, and as you say, unless Wickham were really, really struggling, I did say I thought I knew what you were going to say in response to that question, which is a question that will be levelled at him mm. at this point because obviously you look at the form and the performances haven't quite been there. But uh, I think uh, with you still in the promotion mix, he's very much going to be a part of that club for, for some time to come. Well, not, and like you've said there, Ed, I, my worry has always been when Ainsworth goes, because he will go at some point, Wickham 
become just another club. Well, he was linked don't with. You, don't you think he was linked with Sunderland, wasn't he? I think yeah. that was something. A couple of when Phil Parkinson went and Wickham were doing so so well against all odds. Mm. He was someone that they were very much looking at. It would appear. So yeah, you know there will be uh, there will be a period of adjustment. Certainly, I think for the club, they'll become just another team. At the moment, the Ainsworth thing is is what keeps Wickham's special. There's like an aura around it. He's been there almost ten years now. When he does go, I do worry because I'm not sure that there's a manager quite like him in the lower leagues that can get the best out of those players. You know, Joe Jacobson is is. 30 plus Akin Fenn was almost 40 Vokes is 30 plus these guys they're coming to the end of their careers when they get to Wickham and somehow he turns them into these really solid league one players I'm not sure there's a lot of managers at the lower levels that can do that so I'm a bit concerned like you said that when he does go that team may slightly fall apart but we'll worry about that for another day when it actually <laughs> happens it's not happening just yet so we'll and uh, just just obviously as, as we mentioned it is very sad that radio is only an audio format because a tear has just rolled down Ben's cheek as he was saying all that <laughs> as well uh, <laughs> no best of luck to Wickham going forward of course and uh, and we certainly hope they can kick on and uh, and pick it up and, and like you said Ben maybe even start, start to flirt with those automatic promotion places we are going to stay on football but we're just going to turn it to the international scene uh- Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. That's right, it is time for our Hot Topic section here on Extra Time on River Radio. As we do every week, we delve into the biggest stories beyond the Thames Valley, and there certainly is plenty to get stuck into this week. We're going to start with the football, remain with the football. Of course, obviously, as we mentioned in the in the um, introduction to the show, we saw England qualify comfortably after beating Albania 5-0 and San Marino 10-0. Um, Obviously, we also there's two other home nations worth talking about that secured their place in the playoffs over the international break as well, both Scotland and Wales. It's not going to be that straightforward with the, that straightforward for them to join us in Qatar, though, is it? No, I mean it's going to be it's going to be hard for both of them. What I would say is, and what what we said before, I and mean, they both have home ties, which could make a crucial difference. You know, Scotland at Hampden Park, Wales at the Cardiff Stadium, they get really behind their team. They create an atmosphere that can make the difference in those tight games. Look. Scotland let themselves down. I think in the Euros they'll they'll say that at a couple home games they didn't they didn't step up to the plate. To be fair, they did they did win nil nil against England, didn't they? Yeah. So, <laughs> given their two, like it's the best win in the tournament. But yeah, exactly. You know, I, I, but like I said, though, having those home ties, I think does sway it in both of their favours. Mm. I think if they were away, it, you know, if they were to get a Portugal, for example, I wouldn't fancy them at all. However, at home at Hampden Park, who who's to say Scotland couldn't get a result? They looked brilliant the other night. I don't, know, I don't know if you watched the game, but yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. The way they finally look like a team that, that can counter-attack and play football, which I haven't been able to say about Scotland particularly for, for a long time. You only have to see as well what, what um, Serbia did to, to Portugal as well. Cristiano Ronaldo now having to go yeah. through the playoffs to get to get to his... Well, I mean, well, how do you see that sort of unfolding? There? Do, you think that, do you think they'll join us in Qatar? Um, I think one of them will certainly join us. I'm not quite sure which one it will be because you're dependent upon the draws. Mm. As Ben has said, to have home advantage in a game that is literally just a, a one-leg semi-final is absolutely massive for both of those sides because they both have got a bit of an us and them mentality when it comes to qualification Mm. for tournaments because they've been out of them for so long until just recently they turn those places into a real cauldron and when they sniff there's something in the air when they smell blood that they might well be able to go and get a tournament those places are really jumping and really rocking and you know you saw 
in 2016, you know, so not that long ago, Wales get to the semi-finals of the Euros. And to some extent, that kind of mentality pervade there because no one expected them to, to get some of the results they did. And they did. Um, I'd say the most difficult opposition they're likely to face realistically, someone like Poland, are going to mm. be very, very tricky. Yeah. You know, they finished six points behind England, but they still accrued 20 points in Group I, which is a very solid total. Um, and will probably consider themselves a bit unlucky to find themselves faced with an away draw. And when they've got someone like Lewandowski in their side as well, who's nominated for the Ballon d'Or, you know, anything can happen. But Ben's absolutely right. that The team performance that Scotland put in was absolutely extraordinary. And Steve Clark has, has won deservedly a lot of plaudits. It's important to place on record that, yes, they didn't have a good Euro 2020. But I remember Ireland qualifying for a tournament for the first time and goodness knows how long when Trapattoni was in charge mm. and then seemed to somehow crumble when they were actually faced with tournament football because tournament football and international football are not really the same thing in the sense that tournament football is so rinse and repeat with you playing games so quickly versus international football where there are these big long breaks between spells of playing a couple of games. So it'll be interesting and I would be very surprised if at least one of them doesn't join us in the World Cup next year. I, I would like to, objectively, I would really like to see Scotland in in the World Cup, genuinely, because I think they were, it was really unfortunate how it played out, wasn't it? That that that, that England game fell in the middle of their group campaign and that was obviously where all their focus was going to be and that's not wrongly, but they, they, that was their biggest game. It was a massive thing that they even got in the same group as us. So that was, there was a little bit of, I don't know whether it was holding back or something like that, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't go flying into a tackle against the Czech Republic in the first game if you know you've got England coming up, would you? And then by the end of the England game they were virtually out do you know what I mean it was it was it was going to be a tough ask so it'd be nice to see them actually have an actual crack at the tournament hopefully both of them can join us there it'd be brilliant to see as many home nations as possible there obviously as well it's just been announced that you know we've got the official dates going forward for the 2022 World Cup what are your thoughts on the sort of season start I mean what, what are your thoughts on the World Cup being at Christmas first of all I should say um, well, it wasn't a change I think anyone necessarily anticipated, even when Qatar got the games a number of years ago. But very quickly, those questions followed because the heat in the summer in Qatar would, would make the stadiums unplayable. I think, you know, a lot of them have been, unless I'm wildly mistaken, I think quite a lot of them have been built with air conditioning, even yeah. now. Because, I mean, I went to Qatar once in, in October and relative to, you know, English summertime when, let's face it, you know, a lot of games were being played in the Euros in 2020, worlds apart in terms of the heat and the, and the potential heat that you can reach. Um, it will be different, certainly very, very different. Um, I think when you're a bit of a traditionalist like me, you like having the World Cup to kick back within the summer. But, you know, that said, the World Cup should be accessible for for all nations, realistically, who are able to participate. Now, notwithstanding how, obviously, this World Cup, you know, which has been tarred with certain accusations of things like bribery and what have you in the past, but everybody deserves to be able to host the World Cup if, if it's not going to put the country into debt and so on and so forth. Um, and I think it does open the door for, for other nations to potentially, you know, offer up um, offer up their services to, to do so. So, you know, I think it's probably ultimately going to be a, a good thing. I, I imagine it might well be a little bit like the Russian World Cup, where there were probably some quite low expectations that were surpassed mm. wildly. I think everyone really enjoyed that World Cup, the Russia one in 2018. I thought it was fabulous. I really, really did. Mm. Um, so fingers crossed, yeah, that it's it's one of those events that, that really showcases, you know, what football is all about and, and everyone can get behind and enjoy. But um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe we'll have to get used to the idea of, of you know, not kicking back with your shorts and t-shirt on a, on a Sunday afternoon or whatever it'll be yeah, it'll be something a little bit different probably something a little bit warmer football themed Christmas jumpers what are you thinking 
we get get some England theme Christmas jumpers going? Yeah, well, let's talk about that off air yeah. because that's you know you know giving the listeners the business proposal. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what one other thing that I, that I do think is worth mentioning and, and, and noting, I think, which is the bigger problem for me than it being a Christmas is obviously the accusations of the human rights issues that are going on out there as a result of building the stadiums and stuff. That seems to be a, a real issue. But I mean, it, it's sort of one of those things, isn't it, where. It's, it's hard to say without any actual genuine concrete evidence sometimes exactly what goes on in these situations. I mean, in terms in terms of the timing and everything, Ben, that, that, that we just touched on, is it going to be... Re- I mean, obviously, this represents a huge chance for England to go on and win a major tournament, especially after how we've done at the Euros, after how we did at the World Cup. Does this type of World Cup, World Cup come at such a terrible time for England when we really look like we might be able to kick on, but... There, are, there seem to be things standing in a way of when it is, the heat that's there and all that sort of thing. Yeah, we always give excuses for England, don't we? <laughs> Every single time we don't qualify or we don't get through a certain knockout stage. The one thing we can't use this time would be that the players are tired. You know, they've, they've been playing in the toughest league in the world of season. They would have only been playing for half a season. So I'd like to think that the players would be going into it fresh. I do think it's going to be hard. You know, it's a climate they, they're not used to playing in. Even though it's going to be cooler, like you said, Ed, it's still going to be incredibly hot and, and difficult. And, and also, I guess mentally it's going to be hard. Going into a tournament in December, usually you're gearing up for it for the whole season. So that process in their heads and, and physically is going to have to start a little bit earlier. Um, I do think England have a really good chance. I just think, like the previous two tournaments we've done well in, firstly, the, the road to the final has to be kind to us because I don't think... We can just beat everyone. Uh, you know, I think England have mm. a ceiling where, yes, we are one of the favourites, but I don't think we can go beat Italy, Brazil, Spain and, and Holland on the way to the final. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the tournament has to be nice to us in terms of the draw. And also, it depends on fitness, injuries. If Harry Kane is injured and Calvert-Lewin's injured, who do we have in terms of, in, in terms of that? So things have got to go England's way, but I wouldn't say there's any less of a chance of us winning this one than, than Russia. I don't know. I don't think we've got any less of a chance. I think, if anything, we've got more because we've, cause we've probably grown from what happened last summer. Yeah, I think, I mean, you've only got to look at the players that potentially look like they're going to be left behind to see how strong that England squad yeah, is now. Exactly. But, um, you know, I think the the one thing they do benefit from is not being labelled the golden generation as the golden <laughs> generation were. Um, and I think that is something that, to some extent, has, has kind of... Uh, seen Belgium struggle a little bit when you look at all those players um, and the expectations that are there by virtue of the fact they've got Romelu Lukaku and Thibaut Courtois and you know back in the day it was Vertonghen and Ida Varel as the as the centre-backs and mm. then you also have players like Axel Witzel um, and so on and so forth that you could just reel off so many fantastic players but for whatever reason, it never quite happened for them. And I always felt the weight of expectation by virtue of how fantastic those players were at domestic level and individually, kind of to some extent, almost was a bit of a negative. And I think that was the same for the golden generation to a degree as well. I think England are kind of generally, irrespective of the number of great players we have, generally considered rank outsiders when it comes to the bigger nations. And I think that serves us quite well. Um, yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. It'll be interesting to see, like we were saying, how uh, how they will transition between playing in England in November to playing in Qatar 
at the same time period because the change in climate and everything, it'll be interesting to see how they manage the adjustment. There's not a big gap either, of, is there? There's not a big gap from the Premier League ending to the. To the no, World there Cup isn't. Starting. So it'll it will be um, something that they will have to manage quite carefully. Listen, it's England. You're never going to rule out the idea that England might go and win a tournament. We got to the final of the last one and the semi-finals of the Nations League, semi-finals of the World Cup. You know, and Gareth Southgate has been talked about as potentially being in charge now until Euro 2024. I believe that's a, a contract wrangle that is that is still kind of ongoing potentially if the FA are to offer him a new deal um, you know I, I think we've been on a tremendous upward curve since he's been in charge and I think he's the exact sort of England manager this group of players needed at this particular time so fingers crossed we can go and make a dent in it at least well I mean and it's, it's also worth considering that by then just something that I wanted to bring up on, off the back of the qualifiers that we spoke about as well that we could actually see Harry Kane have surpassed Wayne Rooney's goal-scoring record for England by then. He's getting very, very close, isn't he? I mean, just just how 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 high is he going to rank in terms of history of England strikers? It's got to be pretty much the best, doesn't it? I think if you're quantifying the best England strikers in terms of goals alone, then yeah, I absolutely agree. I think he will 100% be England's record scorer and I think he will break that margin by quite a distance as well. I think it's important to remember that, that he and, and Wayne Rooney were fundamentally quite different different players yeah. in terms of their playing styles. Um, I would liken Harry Kane a bit more to a kind of an Alan Shearer. I think he's a bit more a bit more dynamic than Alan Shearer, but I think Alan Shearer was probably more lethal in front of goal, even though he didn't score as many goals as, as Kane mm. already has for England, by virtue of the fact I don't think he played the same number of games. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he certainly will be in and around it. I mean, he went and got, what, three against Albania and four against San Marino. That's seven goals in two games. To be fair, the quality of opposition is is something that you would query, but by virtue of being an international player, you can't go and play against, you know, top 10 ranked FIFA teams all of the time, can you? But yeah, 100%, he'll be in and amongst it. I think he will go down as England's highest ever goal scorer by the time he's retired, all being well with regards to things like form and injury. Um, but yeah, I think you could you could talk all day and certainly longer than the 12 minutes we have left on the show about who has been England's greatest ever striker for a, for a number of different reasons. Absolutely right. Well, another Englishman who seems to be, you know, have the bit between his teeth and going for records as well is obviously Lewis Hamilton. An incredible, incredible drive from him, obviously in the most recent Grand Prix. Where, where does that sort of win rank for him, do you think, Ben, in his career? Well, it's one of the bigger ones, and especially this season. It's been the first season in a while where he's had some really serious competition. You know, it's actually been really refreshing to see F1 have some genuine competition between him and Max specifically. Um, obviously, the race on the weekend, I, I did see part of it. I can't say I saw all the race. Um, but look, Lewis is a very talented driver. If you put him in any car, I think he's still causes a fight even if the car isn't as quick mm. he's, he's one of the, the best drivers for the last you know two decades and, and no one can dispute that he there was a brief period where I think people used to say about him that oh he's in the best car you know there's no competition mm. for him a couple of years ago but it can't be disputed now that, that Lewis for what he's done for British F1 as well is arguably the, the greatest British F1 driver of all time, surely. I think you would have to would have to take that title now without yeah. without any real shadow of a mm. doubt. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because the person he's notoriously going to be compared with is going to be Schumacher. Um, now I wasn't really across F1 at the time that Schumacher was racing, but I do know that Schumacher was the person you pretty much always expected to see 
on the podium, typically in the number one spot. I'm not sure the extent to which Schumacher had competition in the way that Hamilton has had competition, but you're going to have a debate for as long as the cows come home about which of them was the greatest. And I think sometimes you have to take a step back, like we've talked about, you know, in football with people like Messi and Ronaldo, in tennis where you have people like Djokovic and Nadal and Federer all in the same era. Sometimes you have to take a step back and appreciate you've got to see them at all because obviously there have been other other fantastic races. You know, Senna, um, and Senna, who obviously lost his life so tragically, but was a phenomenal racer, absolutely phenomenal. And had his life not been cut as tragically short as it was, you don't know whether or not him and Schmeichel would have been, you know, jousting in the same way that you see people at the top of the sport since have had to do so. So I think it's, uh, I mean, look, it was a phenomenal race from Lewis Hamilton, an absolutely phenomenal race in pretty bizarre circumstances in the first place. Um, But, you know, I agree with Ben completely that actually seeing, uh, you know, some real tight competition has made this F1 story really, really interesting in a way that it perhaps hasn't been in the past because obviously, as you say, Hamilton has had levelled it in, well, he's in the best car and they're the best manufacturer. Um, but equally, that, that sort of thing was levelled at, um, at Vettel when he was driving for Red Bull as well, when Red Bull for a couple of years were head and shoulders above everyone else. So that's kind of the nature of the beast, it seems, with F1, do you not think? Yeah, I mean, 100%. That, that's hundred. That's exactly how, how F1 is. And it seems to be the default argument by people, doesn't it? That, you know, mm. he's got the best car, he's got the quickest car, of course he's going to win. But there's so much so much more technical ability that comes down when driving a car that it's not as simple as just putting your foot to the to the metal and going, is it? There's, there's so many things to it. I mean, obviously, Mercedes are going to see George Russell uh, drive alongside Hamilton instead of Bottas next year. How do you sort of see that one unfold? Is that going to improve them, do you think? Well, I think they've got to suck it and see, really, haven't they? It's always going to be difficult playing second fiddle to someone like Lewis Hamilton. I think that's always going to be the case. You see it, you see it in different sports. You saw it when, you know, I think, uh, oh, I can't remember. Right, so when Freddie Roach had Manny Pacquiao on his books, and then um, you, you then saw that um, the British fighter. Pakistani, who's Amir Khan. Amir Khan. I don't know why why that name suddenly escaped <laughs> me. But when he was playing, you know, he was very much the second fighter. But progressively, yeah. that was something that didn't really fit. I think it's always, you know, you see with Spurs, Harry Kane, and who's going to be second fiddle to Harry Kane. It's always going to be tricky to see how someone responds to that. Now, obviously, in F1 teams, you do have a lead driver, and Hamilton will be the lead driver. But it's the extent to which someone like George Russell can then complement what he's doing for the benefit of himself but equally of the team as a mm. whole um, and, and you can never quite tell in principle you look at pairings and, and, and think yeah that, that I could see that working but sometimes on the track it's a very different thing don't you think as well it's, it's good timing for George he's a young driver it's good time for him to learn alongside one of the greats of, of his generation I liken it to when um, Chris Froome and Bradley Wiggins back in the day where Bradley Wiggins won the Tour de France Chris Froome was his number two and he learned having that learning experience off him ultimately led Chris Froome to, to win several Tour de France's. So we could see the same with George, where he learns off Lewis, sees what he's doing, and that, that creates a better driver for George. So I think, I think that's the dream that, that, all, that everyone is having, isn't it? That we'd love it to go like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, sometimes it's, it's not quite that simple, is it? No, it's absolutely not. And uh, certainly loads to get into. And we certainly hope that will be the case to see, to see two great drivers come on along, alongside each other like that. Certainly would be excellent. We are going to move away from the hot topic. And I know we teed up the World Cup. We're going to go into something a little bit bigger than any sort of World Cup right now. It's the extra time predictions. League. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this.
That's right. It is towards the end of the show, and obviously there is only one thing that could mean. It is time for the Extra Time Predictions League. It's what everyone's been anxiously waiting for, and rightly so, because it is probably, I would argue, the biggest sporting spectacle of the week every week. I think that's a fair assessment. Worldwide, yeah. Worldwide, yeah. Of course, worldwide. We're not just talking yeah. Thames Valley here, Ed. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's just when we've got this big river radio voice of the Thames Valley sign next to me, it does sort of imply... <laughs> Well, I mean, that's I mean, you, you. You take it however you want, mate. I'm of, I'm of course talking <laughs> worldwide. Of course, I am. Um, it's obviously uh, just to run through the rules quickly, um, as just to make sure we, we we know them. Each each week, a member of the team will pick out a set of fixtures that are due to take place in the coming days. With each player making predictions for the outcome of each, a completely correct prediction will earn a player three points. Whilst correctly forecasting the outcome, the winner or the loser earns one. Failure to do either naturally will win no points. Uh, Ed, again, you have picked the fixtures this week, I believe. Uh, you started with a, with a tennis one, haven't you? Norris v Djokovic. Yeah, sorry, that's a typo. It's Norrie. Cameron Norrie uh, versus Djokovic. Cameron go. Norrie is, has just got into the uh, the ATP finals following the withdrawal of a different player. Uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Look, because you want you want to see the British player do well. You want to see the British player do well. Um, at the same time, it, it's very, very hard to look past Djokovic for reasons we were literally just discussing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, and in that regard, as much as I would love to sit there and, and make an against the odds prediction in Cameron Norrie, I think I've got to go with Djokovic primarily because the last time we did predictions league, I only got I only got one point um, oh. in the previous round, uh, which was deeply distressing because I was top of the table with you uh, the previous week, and now I'm I'm basically just outside what we would regard as the relegation zone. No, it's not for everyone, is it? Predictions League. That's all I can say. Cheers for that. Um, <laughs> ben, Cameron, Nori and Djokovic, how do you see it? I think Novak. I, you know, I can't say that, like you said, Ed, it's wishful thinking, isn't it, that Cameron's going to get the job done. Novak is still a great player. He's still very dominant. Mm. No, he's not the same player he was a few years ago, but no, I'm, I'm going for Novak. No, can't, can't disagree with that. I, I think I'd find it very hard to add what, what, to what you two have just said, especially due to the fact that I called him Norris as well. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think I'll go for, for Novak on that one. He is just, I mean, like we've, we had this discussion on, on before, he's just one of the, he is probably the greatest tennis player of all time. Moving on to the football, obviously we touched on it with Jacob. Reading v Forest this weekend. A big, big game for both sides. Something Redden will be looking to sort of push the points deduction to the side. Forest seem to be on a big upturn of form. It's not that easy to call that one. No, it's not. And the loss of Clark, as Jacob mentioned, will also be a bit of a blow because he came on, became Reading's youngest goal scorer, scored twice when he got his 45 minutes having replaced Puskas against Birmingham to then lose him so quickly after somebody's injected a little bit of excitement and energy into the team is, is a bit of a problem. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not Andy Carroll will necessarily be ready and fit to play just yet. I do think the points deduction will, to some extent, have a bit of a part to play in this. Personally, I think uh, Nottingham Forest might well come away with a, with three points in this one. I'm going to go for Reading 1, Nottingham Forest 2. Oh, tight one then. Yeah, I've, I've been relaying it in my head, just literally as we've been talking, um, thinking, you know, will the pressure be off Reading? Like Derby was, they had a couple of good results after they found out they were ultimately relegated. Um, but no, I think Forest are going to win. They, they've been on an upturn in form. And uh, I'm going to go for 2 0. Two nils. So yeah. can't, can't be underestimated the job that Steve Cooper's done there as well. Obviously, since leaving Swansea, he's just done it. The, the turnaround has just been phenomenal. Um, they obviously brought in the new sport and direct, expected things to go really well for us. It re- they really struggled at the start, but it seems to be a great fit for them and a very big club in their own right as well. I think Reading will have a point to prove. It's, it's not, it's, and I don't even, I don't always think it's the easiest place to go either. I think it'll be two all. I think there's, there's goals in that game, but I think it's going to end in a draw. Reading v Aylesbury in the rugby, Ed. Tough one, that. Really tough one to call. Aylesbury had stopped having not lost 
lost a game, but if you if you look carefully, even though Reading have lost two of their initial six, they've scored more points and conceded, I think, less than Aylesbury. So it's a really tough one to call. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my neck out and say that. Oh, this is so difficult. Go to Ben and come back to me. <laughs> I'm on, still ben. thinking. I'm still thinking. Well. Being, being an Ellsbury boy, being completely unbiased, I'm going to go with Ellsbury. I know nothing about the league. I don't know who's playing, but I can never back against my own town. So I, I, I always back against Ellsbury and they always win. So I'm, for, for that reason, purely, I'm going to back Ellsbury. I'm going to back Reading, I oh, think. Okay. I think, yeah, I think Reading are going to win this one. Um, Score-wise, always tricky. I'm going to say uh, Reading... 18, Aylesbury 12. Okay, uh, finally, just as we run out of time, we've got the basketball as well. Uh, Thames Valley Cavaliers women against Reading. How do you see that one going? Uh, again, always tough, uh, particularly so because these are two sides that we cover yeah. as well. And I have genuinely no no vested interest. I have no preference between the two. I'm going to say Reading for that one as well, though. Okay, Ben? Again, not a division I'm too clued up on, but what Wood says, I remember the piece we've done on the Cavaliers, so I'm going to go for the Cavaliers. Yeah, you remember that, but you don't want... I've got to go for the Reading... Women then, haven't I? Because else it looks like we'd be a bias. <laughs> <laughs> They're never going to come on again now. Right, brilliant. Now, I, I, I'm just going to go for, for Reading Women purely because I think... They, they, I just think I just feel like they're going to do it I just feel like they're going to do it we are rapidly running out of time here on River Radio